I had several people over the last couple of weeks say, Pastor, you are not preaching long enough. I thought, well, I don't want to get that reputation. <laughs> so, I uh, plan to redeem a little bit of that time back that I gave you the last couple of weeks. Let's pray together. Our Father and our God, we ask that uh, you would be with us as uh, your word has been read and now I have the responsibility and the privilege of proclaiming it. Help me to proclaim the Lord Jesus Christ. I aim to know nothing but uh, Christ and Him crucified. And so give me your help as I proclaim Him as I should. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, there will be a day unlike any other. Um, a day that we will all experience together. Uh, I will be there with my family. You will be there with your family. Everyone you hold dear in your heart will be there. Even loved ones who have already passed on to the grave. All your past generations will be there. Also, your future generations that you won't meet here in this life will be there as well. Unfortunately, it will not be a day for happy reunions and reminiscing. It will be a solemn and intense day. The atmosphere will be heavy with the magnificence of the glory of God. Our attention will not be on ourselves. Our attention will be riveted on the Lord Jesus Christ. He will be seated on a great white throne... And all peoples that have ever lived will be spread out before Him. You will be there. You will experience this day. No experience that you have ever encountered will be comparable to that day. And of course, I'm talking about the day of judgment. Our text this morning assures us that there will be a judgment where our lives will be examined and exposed. I'm going to uh, direct our attention to the last two verses of, um, of this passage this morning. Basically, in this passage, Paul is saying to Timothy in verse 22, don't be too quick to lay hands on uh, an officer. Don't, don't be too quick to ordain them, but... Uh, put them through a trial of examination. Uh, examine their life. Examine their teaching before you go and ordain them to office. Because if they um, are a wolf in sheep's clothing, or if they are one of these, these elders that Paul was telling to, told Timothy to go and... Uh, and um, and removed from the church because they were because they were leading the church astray. Paul says, um, "Don't be late, hasty to lay hands on them, or take part in the sins of others." In other words, if you lay hands on them and they start wrecking the congregation, he's saying, "Timothy, that responsibility is going to come back on you." So don't take part in their sin by ordaining them to office too quickly but rather keep yourself pure. And then he says in verse 23, don't drink a little 
or don't only drink water. Use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. Probably what was going on there is Timothy being a bit young, um, in his early 30s, the scholars tell us, and uh, a bit timid, as we learn in 2 Timothy. Going in there and confronting these elders was probably a uh, kind of an upset to his, uh, his digestive tract. And uh, Paul's not saying, go take refuge in a bottle. He's saying, have a little wine to, to help uh, with your upset stomach. So, uh, but we're going to focus this morning on verses 24 and 25. You know, some people, they break the law, they get caught, they go to prison. Others live a life of crime, and they never, in this life, ever get caught. Especially if you commit your crimes while serving as a politician. I think they get away with more than anybody. On the other side of the ledger, there are those who quietly serve the Lord. They love their neighbors as themselves. They never toot their own horn. Paul says that uh, their good works will be made known on the day of judgment. You know, I know some of you in our congregation um, have little gift bags that you carry around in your car so you can hand out to the homeless and give them a little gift of love in the name of Jesus Christ with a little track attached to it. Those things will not go unnoticed before the eyes of God on the day of judgment. Nothing we do for Him will go unnoticed. On the great day of judgment, everything will be brought to light. All our secrets, whether good or evil, will be exposed as if we were standing in the brightness of the noonday sun. The light of that day will shine through and through. Not only will our actions be exposed on the day of judgment, but every careless word that we have ever said. Also, our thoughts and our motives. Even things that we did or said, but did not fully understand why we did them. They will be brought forward to our deepest motives and uh, intents of our heart will be laid bare. There's so much bad information about the Day of Judgment. People, it seems, don't mind speaking confidently about the things that they do not understand. Since I was teaching the the children uh, about Jude this morning, Jude complained about people who speak about things that they don't know about. And he said, uh, these people blaspheme all that they do not understand. And I tremble at the prospect of doing that, especially with such a consequential subject as the Day of Judgment. This sermon is going to be more like a Bible study on the day of judgment. My desire is that the clear teaching of Scripture will be placed before you this morning. I want you to understand uh, very precisely what will be your and my future experience when we are all gathered together on the great and awesome day of the Lord before Jesus Christ as He is seated on His great white throne of judgment. And so we see here in verses 24 and 25, the sins of some people are conspicuous. 
going before them to judgment. People get caught, go to jail. But the sins of others appear later. And they will appear on the day of judgment. So also good works are conspicuous. And even those that, that are not cannot remain hidden. The Lord Jesus will bring it all forward on the, on the day of judgment. So the first thing we should notice is that the day of judgment is a fixed day. God has appointed a day and a, and a time for uh, the day of judgment. Each moment, each day, we are moving forward toward that great judgment. Acts 17 verse 31 is very straightforward. The Apostle Paul says, God has fixed the day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given us assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Christ's resurrection from the dead is a guarantee that he will return and that he will judge the world in righteousness. And he will be vindicated before all who have rejected him or ignored him. On that day... He will gather all people, and all people will acknowledge Him as Almighty God. We all know Philippians chapter 2. At the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Nothing will be able to prevent or delay for one moment the day of judgment beyond the fixed time of God's, in God's eternal counsel. He is coming. There is a day of judgment that we will all attend. Are you ready? No one will be exempted from attending the day of judgment. It will be a day of gathering. Every human being that has ever lived will be there. Every human being that is yet to be born, they will be there. Muslims will be there. Hindus will be there. Buddhists will be there. Atheists who do not believe in God, they too will be there. And they will come face to face with reality. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10 puts it very succinctly. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Revelation uh, chapter 20 verses 15 through 17 fills in a lot of the details, gives us a picture of what it's going to look like on the day of judgment. Uh, The Apostle John says, And then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it, The earth and the heavens fled from His presence, and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. And books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done, recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. And each person was judged according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. Anyone whose name was not written or was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. There will be no pleadings on the day of judgment. 
the sentence will have already been passed. And so it says here in the passage I just read, the books were opened. They had already been written in. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. Our lives, our actions, our words, our thoughts, our secrets were written in these books. Each person was judged according to what they had done. And if anyone uh, whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. How detailed will these books be that God is opening on the day of judgment? Well, we'll set that, si- that question aside for a few moments. Uh, but I simply need to emphasize that the verdict, the sentence, will have already been recorded in the books prior to our being gathered there on the day of judgment. Now, while the day of judgment is a gathering, it is also a day of separation. Matthew chapter 25, verses 31 through 33 says, When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, then He will sit on His glorious throne. Before Him will be gathered all the nations, and He will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates sheep from the goats. And He will place the sheep on His right and the goats on His left. Here on earth, God allows Christians and non-Christians to live together. um, Side by side. In your neighborhood, you probably have non-Christians living on one side. You might have Christians living on the other. All throughout our community, there are Christians and non-Christians. We co-mingle in society. We shop at the same stores. We uh, do a lot of the same activities. You know, there are even non-Christians and religious hypocrites that sit side by side in the church pews. In the parable of the weeds, Jesus um, said that both the weeds and the wheat grow up together. And they grow up together until the final harvest. He said, uh, let both grow together until the harvest. And at the harvest time I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned. But gather the wheat into my barn. It's become increasingly popular for uh, preachers to say that Jesus was speaking figuratively when he spoke about uh, hell being a place of fire because he was speaking in a parable. Um, And so they say because he was speaking in a parable, he was not to be taken as factually literal. But Jesus, in his private explanation of the parable of the weeds, as he spoke to his disciples, he was very plain. He said to his his disciples came to him saying, this is in uh, Matthew chapter 13, explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. He answered, the one who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world and the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age and the reapers are angels. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send His angels and they will gather out of His kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. 
Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. He who has ears, let him hear. There's no figurative language here. He is speaking to his disciples very straightforwardly, telling them what will happen at the end of the age. The weeds and the wheat will be separated. The weeds bundled up and cast off from God into hell. While the wheat will be gathered to Christ and will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. On the day of judgment, the sheep and the goats will be separated one from another. The sheep on Jesus' right hand, the goats on His left. And that separation will be final. The righteous and the wicked shall part to meet no more. Parents will be separated from children. Husbands will be separated from wives. Sisters will be separated from brothers. I pray that none of us here this morning will be separated from each other on that glorious and awesome day. The day of judgment will not only be a day of, of separation, it will also be a day of surprises. In speaking of the day of judgment in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus said, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, do we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Jesus is saying here in this passage, many who presume to be saved will be shown to be lost. Conversely, many who struggle with assurance and may deeply doubt their salvation, they will be saved. Many can put on their Sunday best. Many do put on their Sunday best and play the part of a Christian for a few hours each week, even though they have never really entrusted themselves to the Lord Jesus Christ. How terrifying it will be to hear Jesus on the day of judgment after the books have been opened And they are being read. And Jesus says, depart from me. I never knew you, you worker of lawlessness. We're going to be known on the day of judgment as we really are. If you are an expert at playing the part, putting on airs, being a person other than who you are, it will not last. The day of judgment will be a day of exposure. It is right here in our text. Look again with me. I've already read it. I'll read it again. Verse 24 and 25. The sins of some people are conspicuous. In other words, everybody knows it and sees it. Going before them to judgment. But the sins of others appear later. So also good works are conspicuous. And even those that are not conspicuous cannot remain hidden. There are many other passages that tell us that the day of judgment will be a day of exposure. We've already mentioned 1 Corinthians, or 2 Corinthians 5 verse 10. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. 
We've also mentioned Revelation 20, verse 12. The dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. Matthew 26, verses 36 and 37, Jesus said, On the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. In Revelation chapter, I'm sorry, in Romans chapter 2, verse 16, Paul says that God judges the secrets of men by Jesus Christ. In these several verses, and there are many more that I could include, we hear that God is going to judge our works. He's going to judge our words. He's going to judge our secrets that never leave our lips, whether they be good or evil. Does that surprise you that God is going to judge our works? What about justification by faith? Well, there's no contradiction here at all. We so emphasize our complete forgiveness uh, of sins in Jesus Christ that it's easy to let that one part of the gospel swallow up the rest of it. Jesus does for us, you know, He does for us many things. But there are three things that I typically think of when I think of what He does for us in the gospel. Uh, When we entrust ourselves uh, to us, first of all, He forgives all of our sins completely. Our past sins, our present sins, even the future sins that we have yet to commit, they are all forgiven. They are wrapped up in a ball, tossed behind His back. They are wrapped up in a ball, tossed down on the ground. He stomps them, grinds them into dirt. He casts them as far as the east is from the west. He casts them down to the bottom of the sea so that they are remembered no more. Our sins are completely forgiven. And so in Christ, we have a zero account where we used to have an account full of our sins. Our account is empty before God. Jesus paid all our debts. But that's not all. That's only one part of the gospel. It's a glorious part. Brings me joy every time I think about that part of the gospel. But it's only one part. The second part is that He puts His righteousness into our account. Whereas He empties it by paying our debts, He fills it then with His righteousness. All the obedience that he did while here on earth. All his perfect obedience he puts into our account. All his eternal goodness that he has in and of himself as the eternal God. He puts into our account. Our account is full of his righteousness. And he gives it to us free of charge. So, first part of the gospel takes away our sins. Second part, He gives us His full righteousness into our account. And that's still not all. He also gives us His Holy Spirit. He sends the third person of the Trinity uh, to take up residence in our soul. He changes us. The Holy Spirit changes us. He transforms us. We are a new creation in Christ. Because of the presence and power of the Holy Spirit operating in our life. Our desires are altered. Our priorities are reordered. 
the direction of our life changes. We live by faith in the Son of God. We start producing works in keeping with repentance. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, um, and self-control. These things begin to flower forth life. We fall in love with Jesus and we give ourselves for Him and His kingdom because of the Holy Spirit's present in our life. So these are the three things He does for us. Takes away our sins. We have a zero account. He gives us His full account of righteousness and goodness and then gives us His Holy Spirit so that we are new creatures in Christ. So on the day that we stand before Christ, on the day of judgment, when He is seated on His his uh, great white throne, judging the nations. He is going to examine our words. He's going to examine our works. He's going to examine our secrets to see if there's evidence of the Holy Spirit's presence in our life. Our works won't justify us. Our works could never justify us. None of the good things that we, we could ever do will ever have the value that could counteract the evil things we've done. Christ alone saves us. He alone is our Savior. He's the only one that was nailed to that cross. None of us were. He was nailed there to secure our salvation. We can't help Him save us. He saves us. He saves us to the uttermost. On the day of judgment... All your evil work will have already been canceled. In the books that God opens on the day of judgment, your debt has already been wiped out. They have been erased by Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. When God looks at your side of the ledger, it's going to be wiped out and erased because uh, Jesus has done it all. God, I would imagine He would see in your ledger, in your account, paid in full with infinite credit to spare because it's Christ's righteousness credited to your account. There's not one unaccounted for sin that's left hanging out there. I know... You have regrets. We all have regrets. I know you've done things which you can't make right in this life. No matter how those things nag you and accuse you, you're forgiven completely in Christ. You are forgiven even if you feel guilty. On the great day of judgment, your judge will also be your advocate. Because He is your Savior. I'm going to take a few more minutes to address uh, two more questions that are so important I want to hold you over just for a little longer than normal. The first regards the idea of rewards. In our text in verse 25, it says, So also good works are conspicuous, and even those that are not cannot remain hidden. All our work for Christ, all our work for His kingdom will be brought forward on the day of judgment. The things that we did in secret, 
Because we love Jesus. The money we gave to push Christ's kingdom ahead. The selfless sacrifices that we made for complete strangers. None of that will go unnoticed by God. He will give us rewards in heaven for the graceful things that we do here on earth. I don't know what those rewards will be. I'll likely give them back to him because I know that anything that I have done for him, any good that I have ever done was because of his spirit at work in me. Uh, He's the one who produced those things in me. But I do want to be faithful now so that I can hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. Whatever his rewards will be is going to be glorious. And it's something that I want to have. So I won't deserve a one of them. So the second issue that I want to bring forward is this issue of whether our lives are going to be put up on a giant screen. You know, how would you like to have your, your, your whole life, all your secrets flashed up on, on a screen for the entire universe to see? Um, in my research this week, I found a letter that uh, the great theologian and um, past president of Princeton Theological Seminary back in the uh, early 1800s, he wrote a, uh, to a friend who was... His friend, he was helping his friend to be prepared to die. And his friend was concerned, apparently... Uh, about the prospects of his words, his works, and his secrets being exposed on the day of judgment. And so here's what, to, what uh, Dr. Davies wrote to him. He said, With respect to our sins being known to others, I acknowledge with you that I could not now bear to have any of my fellow creatures made acquainted with what passes in my heart for a single day. But I, but I apprehend it is a part and proof of my present depravity that I feel so disposed uh, to pay so great a regard to the judgment of, of men while I am so little affected with what I am in the sight of the pure and holy God. But I believe that hereafter, when self shall be entirely rooted out and my will perfectly united to the divine will, I should feel no reluctance, supposing it for the manifestation of His glorious grace that men, angels, and devils should know the very worst of me. Whether it will be so or not, I dare not determine. So, he's saying the jury is out, but if God chooses to do it as a manifestation of His glorious grace, I'm sure I'll be fine with it and will rejoice with it. I want to close. Uh, I got out of um, my car yesterday at a gas station. A man came up to me. It was like I was his best friend. He was being very familiar with me. And um, he was a little too free with his personal business. He told me he's uh, heading to see his child and his baby mama. And, um, you know, I'd been thinking about this sermon all week. And he was, he was irritating me, tell you the truth. Um, not cherishing the mother of his child. Not marrying the mother of his child. Not taking care, living in the home and taking care of his child. I was, I was, uh, I was moved inwardly. 
Um, so I decided he's being familiar with me. I'll be familiar with him. So I asked him, I said, Eddie, what if you died to, today? You think you'd go to heaven? And he's, what? <laughs> so, so let me ask you a second question. Let's say you did die and you stood before God and God said, why should I let you into my heaven? Uh, you know, he had never thought about this. And I said to him, this is the ultimate question. And you have never considered it? You know, I am surprised how many people in this world leave that question unanswered and don't have a clear answer to that question. Oftentimes when I ask people these two questions, most often I get, I hope so. Well, the Scripture tells us that we can know so. This is the testimony. God has given us eternal life and this life is in His Son. He who has the, life, the Son has life. He who does not have the Son does not have life. Is this an unanswered question in your life? Is it a fuzzy question in your life? Don't leave this room without having that question answered. We are all going to stand before the day of judgment. We are all going to stand before Christ seated on His great white throne. We are all going to be judged by the, by the eye of Him who is going to be able to see right through us. Don't leave this question unanswered. The Lord Jesus came here for sinners. He went to the cross for sinners. He went to the cross that He might be the Savior of sinners. They took Him off that cross. And they put him in a grave. And he rose gloriously from that grave three days later for sinners. In other words, if you don't know him, or if you don't know if you know him, come to him now. Don't leave this room. If you need to talk to me, I'd love to talk to you. Want to talk to one of the elders, Jimbo? Great. But don't leave this room because we all will stand before the judgment seat of Christ to give account of what we did with Jesus Christ and how we lived by the power of His Spirit. Let's join our hearts together in prayer. Our Father and our God, first of all, I pray for Eddie. And I pray that uh, as he heard the gospel yesterday, that he would flee to the Lord Jesus Christ. As he's on my mind and heart um, at this moment, I pray for any here, young or old, who have not fled to the Lord Jesus Christ, who have not hidden themselves in Him, who have not taken refuge in Him. God, I ask that You would uh, open the eyes of their heart that they might see Him in all His grace, all His glory, and uh, flee to Him for, to be uh, their Savior. Father, I pray for us all. Help us to live in light of that coming day. Every day that we live here on earth is one day closer to that glorious day. How we live our lives, how we trust in 
the power of your Spirit, how we appropriate the power of the Spirit to live godly lives, to produce spiritual fruit in keeping with repentance, uh, will have bearing on that day. The things that we have done for you and your kingdom won't be held back, but will be pushed forward. Lord, I pray that we would all hear, well done, good and faithful servant. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.